Welcome to Econa Day Unplugged. It is Tuesday, October 17th. I am Ann Picker, Econa Day's Chief Economist, and with me are Mark Pender in the U.S. and Jeremy Hawkins in the U.K. Jeremy, politics continues to capture the headlines along with continuing plotting of the Brexit negotiations. And with the Bank of England policy meeting looming, this week's economic data shouldn't be passed over. It will be important to the deliberations. It will, certainly as far as the UK is concerned anyway. Um, at this stage, market financial markets uh, are generally discounting. We'll see what the first interest rate hike in the UK for what will be a decade um, on November the 2nd, which is when the, the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee next meet. But it's not a done deal. Um, this morning, certainly, we saw something in favour of the Hawks. We had the September inflation rate rising up to 3%. Uh, that's the first time we've seen the 3% mark actually hit since, what, April 2012. So, in contrast to most of Europe at the moment, inflation for the UK is very much of a, yeah, an issue on the upside rather than the downside. But at the same time, we've had various comments coming out of from some Bank of England members to the effect that it's not clear-cut yet that there's really the domestic generated inflationary pressures should, should would be needed to justify an interest rate hike. So it's going to be potentially at least a split vote, I think, once we get into November. That said, we have had the Bank of England head, head honcho, Mark Carney, suggesting that equilibrium interest rates, not just in the UK, but indeed around the world, are rising effectively implying that an unchanged monetary stance would imply an increasing monetary stimulus. So I think the, you know, the groundwork clearly has been made for an interest rate hike. It's just a matter of time when it's actually going to be delivered. I think, to be honest, for some people, it's becoming quite important now because what we are starting to see is a growing debate about the bank's attitude towards its quantitative easing policy. Now, in contrast to the likes of the Fed and certainly ECB, the BOE's attitude towards this is that um, there won't be any change to its quantitative easing program until such time as bank rate has reached at least 2%. And they've justified that on the grounds that where they need to loosen policy, they'd like to see interest rates at a high enough level that they can actually you know, have some scope to bring the things down. Now, that's all very well. But you know, if you look at the forward curve for the UK financial markets at the moment, they're suggesting this 2% interest rate mark won't be reached until at least five years down the road, effectively mean uh, all the the gilts that the Bank of England's got on its balance sheet at the moment are going to be there for another five years at least. So there may well be some need to review this uh, quantitative easing package uh, going forward. Just quickly mention some of the politics in Europe, as you talked about. In terms of the, the Brexit issue, uh, the big thing to look for here is going to be on Friday. We'll get the EU leaders' council meeting on Thursday and Friday of this week. Brexit is supposed to be the main hot topic for discussion on Friday. And we should get some statement coming out round about midday-ish uh, local Brussels time on Friday as to whether or not any significant progress has been made. But I wouldn't hold your breath there because uh, really, so far seems to be after, what, five rounds of talks now? Very little uh, progress has been made at all. Uh, were they to come out, though, and suggest that, OK, we're happy to start talking about trade deals, that's something to which the pound would react extremely positively. So it's worthwhile keeping an eye out for that. On the assumption, really, they intimate that it's still steady as she goes and, you know, really stagnation. Um, that could still be a big negative as far as the pound goes as we head towards year end. In Europe, 
summarise the numbers. There's not too much going on in terms of surprises. The economic data are still in line uh, with the ECB announcing its so-called recalibration of monetary policy next week. But the euro is certainly struggling on the back of the politics. As people are aware, we've still got this Catalan crisis going on in Spain. The latest on that seems to be that uh, the national government in Madrid has given uh, the Catalan prime minister until Thursday to actually come out and announce whether he's genuinely declared independence or not. <coughs> Excuse me. And if he has done, then, well, effectively, we're going to see the autonomy that um, Catalonia currently enjoys being taken away. And that would be extremely messy. Um, but the sort of uncertainty surrounding that has been compounded by well, further evidence, really, of this populist wave in Europe of returning again. Um, we saw Angela Merkel, um, her Christian Democrats, posting their worst regional election result in Lower Saxony at the weekend since, what, 1959. Um, and at the same time, we saw in Austria, the general election on Sunday, uh, a big push again for the far right, to the extent that it seems like this, um, the far right party out there will be part of the, the next coalition government. So it does seem that there you are know, some political issues that are weighing on the euro and almost irrespective of what the ECB might or might not do next week. That's going to be an issue that investors need to be aware of as we go forward. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Jeremy. I have, a, I have a question for uh, Jeremy. Yep. What, is the, what is the BOE uh, bank rate right now? Currently, we stand at just 0.25%. Is that in a range or is that a... Uh, no, we that just the, had... No, that's it. They, <clears throat> excuse that's me. They, it. They just, that's it. They set a level and that is it. And that has, that's as low as it can possibly go? Well, in theory, of course, we could do the ECB type style and go negative. But as far as the Bank of England's attitude has always been, they've never, they've never, they've always intimated that they don't think it's a good idea to have negative interest rates. So, although it could go lower, it's extremely unlikely that it would do. Thanks, Jeremy. Mark, we've had some interesting U.S. data. Uh, tell us about it. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, it's been. I think in some, it's been uh, uh, if you constructively mixed, if you like that uh, a, a term. Um, we're getting hurricane effects uh, for most readings that are skewing uh, headlines. For instance, uh, last week's uh, CPI and retail sales at the headline level uh, were sharply higher. Um, for retail sales, the core readings were uh, constructive and positive. And um, uh, putting to steady, um, um, moderate uh, growth for consumer spending, um, which is, of course, being underpinned by the unusually strong labor market. We have a 4.2% unemployment rate. That's a 16-year low. Um, the uh, inflation readings, however, were probably last week's big surprise. Uh, it was a at the core level for the CPI, which excludes energy effects. Um, it only came in at 0.1, and that was a big contrast, if we remember, to the August report where the, where the core came in, in, in at 0.2, and uh, that kind of presaged what, what, what uh, we, we later had with the average hourly earnings in the September employment report, uh, which jumped 0.5 and included a sharp uh, upward revisions, including an uh, upward revision in July to uh, 0.5, and that year-on-year -year rate uh, at 2.9%. These are all expansion highs. And for um, 
uh, Federal Reserve that's facing full employment, again, the 4.2% unemployment rate, there really is uh, no room left for them to uh, to abandon or to uh, 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 not raise interest rates. So that seems to be the expectation. I think we're seeing that uh, in the bond market, uh, a, a little bit of backing up in the, in the rates. So uh, we're looking at a, a rate hike really to uh, stem – um, the the risk of overheating in the employment um, in the employment sector. Now today is Tuesday, and we had um, an interesting uh, in, industrial production report. And what's interesting about it is how soft manufacturing is in this. It did post a zero point one percent gain, but that was two tenths below um, the Econoday uh, forecast. And uh, and not only was it below the forecast, but it's only the second gain in the last five months. And this is a strong con. This is a very important fundamental reading on the uh, factory sector, and it st- stands in stark contrast to all the regional reports which we had on Monday this week. Empire State showing enormous gains, um, almost record gains in the history of the report. The Philly Fed, which is a fifty-year history, um, has also been uh, knocking at the door or exceeding its all-time uh, uh, indications of activity. We're getting that report on Thursday. So we're, we're getting a separation uh, in uh, confidence readings. And the, well, we've had, I guess we've had that all year, but the expectation would be, I guess, that the actual fundamental economic data would catch up with the, the strength in the sentiment readings. But it's not. There, there's still this uh, dislocation. And we see it again uh, in today's uh, housing market index report from the nation's home builders, which is a uh, sentiment on optimism index. And they've been very, very optimistic all year long. Mark? Yes. Aren't the housing builders looking forward to all the replacement housing in the hurricane-struck areas? Well, perhaps, but the the South didn't show much of an uptick. It really hasn't shown uh, any significant change uh, from August to September. Today was October's report for this for, for uh, uh, October's numbers for this report. There's no evident, uh, tangible number uh, evidence of uh, housing of, of uh, replacement demand yet there. Of course, we now we did see, we want to shift gears now and go into the auto, the vehicles. Uh, one of the factors that's been holding down industrial production, the manufacturing component, is lack of support from vehicle manufacturing, which has uh, fallen really for the first time in the expansion. It's, it's slowing. And and that is uh, bringing down overall manufacturing. Now, we've had a gigantic jump in uh, September-related replacement demand for vehicles. And that was what was behind the uh, – part of what was behind the extraordinary gain in retail sales we saw last week. Gasoline was the other hurricane affecting that. But we're, Mark, we're, yes. Mark, did the Fed have any comments about the impact of the hurricanes on industrial production and manufacturing component? Um, not anything specific. The Labor Department did say separately in today's import and export price uh, uh, report that they did have data collection issues, but the numbers just haven't been really all that uh, terribly uh, 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 skewed by uh, these hurricane effects, at least uh, apart from vehicle sales. And vehicle sales were enormously strong. And, if, you know, we'll, they'll have to pick up production to. Uh, to to refill uh, auto inventories, which will be a plus, but at the, the same time, that buying in September pulled forward 
uh, sales, stole sales from months like uh, this month and next month and next and the month after that. So the outlook for the factory sector surprisingly is flattening. Get, getting back to the housing market index and what we can expect for tomorrow's housing permits and starts data. Um, that has shown a little bit of life, unlike new home sales, which have been, despite however optimistic the home builders are, that has been that has been sagging. So uh, the housing and factories are, you know, mixed. I think you know it, they're not going down. They're not really accelerating very strongly. We're I think at a two percent GDP rate right now, uh, and, and that's what we're looking at. But we have very tight labor market, and I think that's what the Fed's going to be concerned about. Thanks, Mark. I'd just like to mention that there are two important political events taking place in Asia this week. Tomorrow, Wednesday, China begins its 19th Party Congress, which is held every five years. And this year's meeting is likely to see President Zhao Jinping further bolster his position as one of the most powerful leaders in modern Chinese history. The official task of the delegates that are hand-selected uh, and will attend this year's event is to study and approve new policies and elect people who will lead China for the next five years. Most of the meetings take place behind closed doors. Since taking power at the last gathering in November 2012, the president has established himself as one of the most dominant leaders since Mao. This week, also, China is coincidentally releasing its most important economic data. Uh, September consumer and producer price indices, which were released earlier this week, were pretty much as anticipated. The CPI was up 1.6% on the year, down from 1.8% in August, while the PPI was up 6.9% if to 6.3%. And coming up Wednesday night, U.S. Eastern Time will be third quarter GDP, industrial output, and retail sales, the latter two for September. And on Sunday, October 22nd, Japan holds a snap election for the lower house of the Diet, the Japanese parliament. The current prime minister, Shinzo Abe, is expected to win. With the opposition fading in disarray, is expected to win a majority and be able to continue the stimulus economic policies that have governed the past several years. Thanks, guys. <laughs> 